0: You're listening to L-Town Radio, the Livingston Library
1: Podcast.
2: Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the December 2020 episode of L-Town Radio, the Livingston Library podcast. My name is Joe. I'm a librarian in the Adult Services and Acquisitions Department. In this episode, Katie's back to tell us about some hotly anticipated upcoming reads for the month ahead. Both Archana and Jessica will drop in to talk about a few of the great programs the library has in our December calendar. Later on, Jenea will give us the scoop on Canopy, the excellent on-demand movie streaming platform that is now freely available to all our Livingston Library cardholders. Also, Katie, Jessica, and I will share what kind of books we like to read in the wintertime and what books we might plan to read this coming winter. And finally, I'll let you know how you, yes you, can have a chance to join us on the Town Radio podcast crew. But first... Because the holiday season is upon us, I thought we'd start this month's episode by telling a holiday story that took place in Livingston nearly 120 years ago, back in the 1890s. It's a story I found during my usual digging through our local history archive. It was written down by Livingston historian Freeman Harrison, who lived from 1887 to 1973, and was published in the West Essex Tribune 50 Christmas Eves Ago, That's December 24th, 1970. This story is called A Leucalan Feast. And if you don't know what that word, Leucalan, means, that's perfectly normal. I didn't know that word before. And, in fact, people in the story itself weren't familiar with that word either, as you'll soon hear. Anyway, the word means luxurious. So without further ado, here is A Leucalan Feast. It started quietly enough that Christmas Day, away back in the gay 90s, when William McKinley sat serenely in the White House and the horse and buggy, bless them, were symbols of the happy, contented time. It was only in the unusual mildness of the weather that long ago morning that one may have found some hint of the odd tricks a fickle fate had planned for the occasion. The David Grissom family, living on a 60-acre Livingston farm, had invited two unusual guests to have the holiday dinner with them. This was done out of the kindness of their hearts. Each of these invited guests lived alone, and many people felt that for anyone to have Christmas dinner alone was a sad thing. The Grissoms were an old family in the section. Living in the mellowed farmhouse were the sturdy David and his wife, an unmarried son, Edward, who helped his father run the farm, and two maiden daughters. The house, built before the Revolutionary War, faced northerly toward the street. To the west was a little pond in a rather deep ravine. The pond was fed by a brook which flowed under a stone bridge spanning the road. At the street level there was a brownstone parapet on either side, while to the rear of the house there stood the barn and other outbuildings. The two invited guests were Edward Moran and Theodore Berry, both vivid, articulate men but, in most respects, strikingly different. Mr. Moran, who lived on Dark Lane, or North Midway, as he called it, was a very warehouse of knowledge. He was irascible and explosive. At times, too, he could be a bit pompous, with his tendency to use long words and classical allusions, which often were obscure. Like Thoreau, he lived simply, with little regard for the usual comforts of life. To him money was a medium of exchange and that was all. His religious and political views were highly individual. He loved his books and the beauties of nature, the restful green of trees and shrubs, summer moonlight, and the bright stars of a cold winter night. Mr. Berry was rugged, not tall. His mouth was wide and firm. He was full of wisdom, No one could ever say that the old fellow did not have a strong personality, but he lacked, no doubt gladly, the other's extreme dignity. He enjoyed reading the novels of Jules Verne, such as Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea being among his favorites. He lived in a part of the old house at the center, which uh, Samo's Tavern then, Livingston's government, had been formed. It may have pleased him that his combination dining room and kitchen was in what had been the bar room. The mildness of this Christmas day had followed a frigid spell which had frozen hard the little pond by the street. This was just as it should have been for the holiday season, but this warmth seemed out of place. Christmas, however, is in people's hearts, not in the weather, and as with the absence of snow, the unanticipated high temperature could be dismissed. A surrey turned swiftly into the graveled driveway. Noon was approaching, and Jared Grissom, an older son of the family, had arrived from his home in Orange. With him were his wife and three children, two boys and their sister. The girl's name was Ruth, and she was destined to play quite a part in the events of this Christmas Day. She was around the age of ten. Mr. Moran, who disdained the use of a horse, arrived soon afterward. His massive dome of a head, fringed with gray hair, his beardless face gave him the look of a figure out of Plutarch. He had put aside his usual blue jeans, found a necktie somewhere or another, and was wearing a neat dark suit. David Grissom, one of the few men on friendly terms with the old termagant, greeted him cordially, as did the others. Shouts of Merry Christmas rang through the wide hallway, to the east of which were two parlors, first a small one, then the main one, and to the west a secluded little room filled with books. The two sisters, who had been teachers, were fond of reading. This hospitality shown to me by you and your family is most gratifying, David, Mr. Moran said. He had called a man by his first name. Formal to the core, for him such affability was astounding. Surely this was a different kind of day. The family with Mr. Moran remained in the hall, for Theodore Berry was approaching. See, there he is. "'coming over the bridge and looking toward the house, "'how vigorous and strong he appears in the pale December light. "'The newcomer received a hearty welcome even from Mr. Moran. "'The two men ignored each other in the corner store, "'but it seemed that there was to be no such aloofness on this Christmas day. "'Mr. Moran even had used the other's first name in greeting him, "'as if they were the best of friends. "'He had almost called him V, as Mr. Berry was generally known.' The grandfather clock struck one, the magic hour. It was time for Christmas dinner. And what a meal it was. There was turkey, goose, chicken, even guinea hen. There were head cheese and all kinds of vegetables. There were sauces, cranberry jelly included. Pies, pumpkin, and mince were still in the oven awaiting the time of dessert. In this year, 1970, with its extensive buying in supermarkets, it's hard to believe the fact that nearly every article of food on the Grissom table that day was a product, direct or indirect, of the farm. This included the bread and the butter, the cider, and even the tall white candles which lighted the festive table. David Grissom was without a trace of snobbery. Sitting at the table were his two hired men, Chris and Moranis Sorensen, who were brothers, If they were good enough to toil on his farm, their employer thought, they were good enough to eat at his table. With somewhat analogous reasoning, Tilly Gilmore, the housemaid, had her place at the table. It was Mr. Moran who pronounced the first verdict. This is indeed a Leucalan feast, he said impressively. The old man, as it happened, was seated next to Ruth Grissom. The girl had chestnut-brown hair, down of course, cheeks the reddest of red, and sparkling blue eyes. An independent little miss with a great desire to learn, she was the pride and joy of her parents. Mr. Moran, who never was easily impressed, decided quickly that here was a child he liked. At one point, the head of the house addressed the two neighborhood guests. You chaps, he said, were in the war. Perhaps you would be good enough to tell us some of your experiences. Although both had plenty to tell, neither seemed inclined to say much on the subject. It was then that the eager little Ruth spoke up. "'I am in the third grade in my school,' she said, "'and we are studying about the Civil War in our history class. I would like very much to hear about it. Please do as my grandfather suggests.' This was too much for Mr. Moran, who was delighted with the child's desire to learn and he began to speak about the conflict of the 1860s. When the well-informed Edward Moran talked on any subject, it was with authority and likely to be in detail. However, realizing that too much of one's subject might be out of place during this holiday meal, he ended the reminiscences in appropriate time. My dear, he said looking at Ruth, I think we have heard enough of this for Christmas Day. I wish your Aunt Emma would tell us how she made this delicious plum pudding. Ruth, though, was not so easily appeased. Having discovered that Mr. Moran was a regular old history book in himself, she wanted to hear more. "'Please tell us,' she asked, of her admiring neighbor, "'about some of the poems concerning with the war. We're studying them, too.' He was embarrassed, but how could he deny the girl's request? "'There is,' he said." the poem of Barbara Fritchie. You know of it. It tells of a supposed incident that happened a few days before the Battle of Gettysburg. While the old man was eloquently quoting portions of Whittier's stirring masterpiece, Ruth was in agony, for suddenly she faced an unexpected and terrible problem. She knew that the old savant, with his reputation for learning, had erred grievously. The incredible had happened. Should she tell him? She decided that she should. Ah, the temerity of youth. Think, Mr. Moran, she asked when the quoting had ended, that this took place before the Battle of Antietam the pre preceding year? Stonewall Jackson, who plays such a prominent part in the poem, could not have been in Frederick at the time you mentioned. He was dead then, at least our history book says so. There is something else, too. The poem refers to the cool September morn. The Battle of Gettysburg was in July. A different kind of Christmas? Most desperate of moments. The old man threw back his head in shock. He had erred badly, and he knew it. Furthermore, he had been corrected by a schoolgirl. Yes, it was a strange day indeed, though no one at the time could have foretold the un like turbulence yet to come. Okay, we'll have part two of A Lucalyn Feast coming up real soon, but first, let's take a short break. So Katie, the head of our Adult Services and Acquisitions Department, Can tell us about some of the exciting upcoming reads coming our way in December. Katie? Hi,
3: everyone. Winter is here. December brings snow and cooler temperatures. Bundle up, make some hot cocoa, and settle in for these good books. Reserve these books now at www.livingstonlibrary.org or via Libby and Overdrive. The first book on the list is Mediocre, The Dangerous Legacy of White Male America, by Ijoma Oluo, and it's nonfiction. From the author of the New York Times bestseller, So You Want to Talk About Race, a history of white male America, and a scathing indictment of what it has cost us socially, economically, and politically. The next book on December 1st is also nonfiction. It's Barack Before Obama, Life Before the Presidency, by David Katz. A personal, intimate, photographic celebration of President Barack Obama, featuring over 200 rare and never-before-seen images from the years prior to his presidency from photographer, friend, and former aide, David Katz. We have a science fiction book on December 1st, The Mandalorian, original novel by Adam Christopher, which is an upcoming book to be published by Penguin Random House based on the hit Disney Plus series. We have Happiness Becomes You, a guide to changing your life for good by Tina Turner, which is nonfiction also on December 1st. Tina Turner, one of the world's most beloved performers reveals the joyful wisdom behind her inspirational life story in this powerful guide to finding happiness, hope, and love in your own life. In happiness becomes you a guide to changing your life for good. Tina shows how all of us can overcome life's obstacles, even change the impossible to possible and transform our lives. December 1st also has Inferno, the true story of a B 17 gunner's heroism and the bloodiest military campaign in aviation history by Joe Papillardo. Joe Papillardo's Inferno tells the true story of the men who flew the deadliest missions of World War II and an unlikely hero who received the Medal of Honor in the midst of the bloodiest military campaign in aviation history. Dancing in the Mosque, an Afghan mother's letter to her son by Homira Kadiri, The Biography, on December 1st, an exquisite and inspiring memoir about one mother's unimaginable choice in the face of oppression and abuse in Taliban-controlled Afghanistan. Moving on to December 8th titles, we have Layla by Colleen Hoover, A Romance. From number one New York Times bestselling author Colleen Hoover comes a novel that explores life after tragedy in the enduring spirit of love. There's also Take It Back by Kia Abdullah, a thriller on December 8th, a shocking twisting courtroom thriller that keeps you guessing until the last page is turned. We have Blowing My Way to the Top, How to Break the Rules, Find Your Purpose, and Create the Life and Career You Deserve by Jen Atkin, which is a biography. From entrepreneur and celebrity hairstylist Jen Atkin comes a smart and spirited guide to finding your voice and creating the life and career you deserve. For December 29th, we have Biohack Your Brain How to Boost Cognitive Health, Performance, and Power by Kristen Willimier. A neuroscientist's groundbreaking, science driven plan for revitalizing, nourishing, and rejuvenating your most essential asset, your brain. On December 29th, we also have The Wrong Family by Taryn Fisher, a thriller. From the author of the instant New York Times bestseller, The Wives, comes another twisted psychological thriller guaranteed to turn your world upside down. And finally, for this month, we round out the list with Hush Hush by Stuart Woods, fiction, which is Stone Barrington facing down a rival with cutting edge tactics in this heart racing thriller from the number one New York Times bestselling author. I hope you enjoy these titles and happy reading.
2: Thank you so much, Katie. And now, here's part two of A Lugulin Feast. The face and neck of the rebuffed man became flushed, his hands tightened. It would have been a rash thing indeed for a grown-up to question the accuracy of a statement by Mr. Moran. Such an affront surely would have led to near annihilation in a hurricane of rhetoric. What would he do now in the case of the child Ruth? There followed a moment of silence, a calm before the coming storm. Those at the table who realized the situation waited breathlessly. Perhaps Mr. Barry, however, was not too distressed. Secretly pleased that someone at last had found his comrade in the wrong and had shown the courage to say so, he had kept a straight face, only with difficulty. Good girl, he thought to himself. The explosion seemed inevitable, But, as has been said, this was an unusual day. Gradually, the old man's signs of anger were vanishing. His face softened, broke into a smile. Then, tenderly, he put his arm around Ruth's shoulders. Of course, Ruth, you are right, he said. When you grow up, my dear, become a schoolteacher, and I will be your first pupil. Amazement reigned in the spacious room. As for Ruth, she had something else she desired very much to talk about, with. Mr. Moran, but she knew that she had taken up quite a portion of the conversation. So she held her peace. Children should be seen and not heard was a saying in those Victorian days. The aged queen still sat on the British throne. The diners lingered at the table long after they had finished eating. Later they gathered in the long parlor which ran along the entire side of the house. There were white plaster walls, relieved by the portraits of many Grissoms. A wood fire crackled on the wide hearth. The elders were doing the talking now, with the tactful David Grissom seeing to it that no controversial subject such as that as politics came up for discussion. There had been one narrow escape from disaster. At one end of the room there was a gaily decorated Christmas tree. Under it were presents for all. They were distributed by the three children. The brief December afternoon was drawing fast to a close. Theodore Berry, smoking a fragrant cigar, rose to leave. I think, he said, I should go home now and help the widow Williams give her chickens their evening meal. Courteously, he thanked his hosts for their hospitality, again wished a happy holiday to all. The widow Williams lived in another part of the one-time tavern from Mr. Berry's, and she kept her poultry in a coop near the place where Panic's garage is today some seventy-five years later. Soon after Mr. Berry had gone, the three children disappeared, leaving a pleasant, if mature, group in the parlor, which was now candlelit. This Christmas day, it seemed, at last had settled down in a tranquility more in keeping with such occasions of the past. Certainly there had been more than enough strangeness. But what was that? There had been a muffled sound coming from the direction of the barn, was nothing, most of the people in the parlor thought. Edward Grissom, though, had looked out of the rear window and seen smoke rising from the roof of the barn. The barn has been struck by lightning, he cried, incredulity in his voice. Saying something about the horses and the cattle, he rushed from the house. There was no fire department in that distant time. Yes, the animals must be saved if possible, but another thought flashed into agonized minds. Where were the children As the others followed Edward Grissom toward the barn, the mother sobbed, "'They're in there!' She knew, as did the others of the Grissoms, that the youngsters were fond of bouncing about in the hay stored in the mow high above the barn floor. The hay was on fire. Small flames were now running along the peak of the roof. The mother's fear was justified. As she and the others reached the big open door of the barn, The two boys, shrieking in dread, were descending the ladder from the haymow. "'Where's Ruth?' the mother asked as terribly. So terrifying had been their experience, their escape from the flames, that they were in a state of shock and were speechless. Convulsions ran through their bodies. The upper part of the barn was an inferno now. Jared Grissom, who had sensed his wife's intention to rush into the burning structure, was holding her in a strong grip which proved to be ineffectual. She suddenly broke away. She ran through the door, reached the ladder, started to climb it. That instant Edward Moran seized the frantic woman. Then, aided by her husband, he pulled her back down the ladder, pulled her, struggling, from the blazing barn. A terrible sense of futility possessed the onlookers. They were helpless, for there was nothing to do except watch the flames consume the old building. The freak shower had been brief, with only one flash of lightning and one clap of thunder, practically no rain had fallen. It was Mr. Moran who offered the only ray of hope. I doubt that Ruth is in the mow, he said to her distraught parents. I have had a good look at her today, and it is my opinion that if she had been in the mow, she would have got out if the boys did. These were easy words to say. In the circumstances, they sounded almost flippant, but they did convey the thought that the girl might be somewhere else the pond the pond why had no one thought of that okay we're going to take one more quick break in a local feast to hear from some of the other members of the podcast crew to tell us about some of the exciting programs we have coming up in december starting with jessica
4: If you're looking for something good to read this winter season, I suggest joining one of the Livingston Public Library's book clubs, such as Bookish Vibes. Our next meeting will be on Monday, December 14th at 7 p.m., and we will be discussing books by Heather Guttenkopf, who will be joining our book club meeting. Bookish Vibes is all about vibing with a great read, and Gudenkoff's thrillers will keep you turning pages. Copies of her latest novel, This Is How I Lied, will be available for you to check out from the patron services desk, but you're not required to read this novel. Read any of Guttenkopf's works and come to our Zoom meeting to discuss. Discussion will open with This Is How I Lied, and then we'll branch off into her other works, our bookish thoughts, the writing process, and more. It's a great place to discuss books with other readers and ask the author questions yourself. Register on the library's events calendar at www.livingstonlibrary.org, and a link to the Zoom meeting will be sent to you the day before of the event. I can't wait to get
2: bookish with you. See you then. Thanks so much, Jessica. And before we get back to the story, let's hear from Archana.
1: Hello, podcast listeners. I'm librarian Archana Chiplunkar, and I'm really excited to share with you some information on upcoming virtual library programs for December. We actually open the month on December 1st at 11am by offering you best practices for smartphone photography. Now, as you know, in today's world, you don't need a bulky camera to take amazing pictures. You just need your smartphone Learn how to snap professional quality and creative photos with your phone with this Zoom presentation led by Stefan Kaplan, a social media and visual strategist. Both iPhone and Android users will learn how to adjust your smartphone camera settings so that you will be able to take great pictures, how to use many of the best functions your smartphones are equipped with, and how to be much more creative in the way you look at things. Stefan is also a former photo editor at the New York Times and a freelance photographer whose work has been published around the world, so you are definitely in good hands. So if you're looking to capture on camera any of the colorful treats you may have spread out on your holiday dinner table this winter, or if you want to capture pictures of your dazzling Christmas tree, make sure to sign up for this program. It's on December 1st at 11 a.m. In the same week, on Thursday, December 3rd at 7 p.m., we are offering a program called Tools to Create a Dynamic Resume. Now, as you know, an excellent resume, it has the power to open doors. To stand out among other applicants, you need a resume that markets your strengths and shows how you match for the job. And a fantastic resume is one that tells the reader who you are, what are your strengths and capabilities and how you can help them. So during this library workshop, participants will learn how to craft such a resume through instruction, hands-on exercises, and critiquing of real resumes. You will walk away with the tools necessary to create a document that features individual accomplishments, strengths, and interests. The workshop will be facilitated by Jennifer Rogers, who with 25 years of human resources and career consulting experience, has evaluated, reviewed, and created thousands of resumes. The third program I want to talk about is on December 10th at 7 p.m., and it is called Norman Rockwell, An American Phenomenon. Norman Rockwell was an American painter and illustrator, a prolific one, who produced more than 4,000 works, that chronicle not only ordinary moments from everyday life, but also important social and political issues. His works have a broad popular appeal in the United States for their reflection of American culture. During his lifetime, he was dismissed by many serious art critics. But this talk will examine why and how he has remained a beloved American original. Presenter Janet Mandel will look at many of his iconic paintings, as well as at some that may surprise you. Janet is retired after teaching for 32 years in New Jersey's public schools and now loves to share her knowledge on art history at various public venues. And her talks are always very engaging and enlightening. So make sure to mark your calendars for this one. Thank you very much. Uh, you can sign up for all these programs via a Zoom calendar, via, I'm sorry, via the library event calendar at www.livingstonlibrary.org and hope to see you in the Zoom chat room for one or all of these. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much, Arjuna. Uh, Before we get back to the story, I just want to mention one other upcoming program real quick. On Thursday afternoon, December 17th, starting at 4 p.m., you can check out a very special edition of the Musical Storytime program that I do for the kids here. It's very special because it is a holiday edition We're going to read books and sing songs that celebrate the traditions of Christmas and Hanukkah and Kwanzaa, and best of all, it's just going to be up on our YouTube channel starting at 4 p.m. on December 17th. You don't need to register. There's no limited time. You can just watch it starting at 4 p.m. December 17th, and then if you want to watch it a few days or a few weeks or even a few months later, you can, because it'll just be up on our YouTube channel. All right. Now let's get back to the thrilling conclusion of A Lugulin Feast. The ice was firm, despite the present mildness. Due to the ravine, one could not see the barn from the pond, and Ruth had brought her skates along with a sport coat which had earmuffs. Then, also, she was an, an intent child, always completely occupied with whatever she was doing. Without knowing what had taken place, she might be at the little pond. Here was hope. The searchers for the missing girl hurried toward the pond. As they approached it, there came a scream of anguish from Ruth's mother. There was not a person on the ice. The last hope had vanished. However, the good saints of Christmas Day, perhaps the very angels themselves, had decreed a happy ending to this day at the Grissom Farm. There were shouts of joy and immense relief as Ruth came from the door of the house. At first, she was smiling. Then she seemed perplexed, as her parents seized her eagerly in their arms. The mother was still sobbing, but it was with joy now. "'Where were you, Ruth?' the father asked. "'The barn is burned, and we feared you were in it. Didn't you hear anything?' "'I heard a scream a few moments ago,' the girl said. That was all. I was awfully busy in the little parlor looking for a dictionary in all those books. It took me quite a while. When at last I found the dictionary, I learned just what I wanted to know. I had never heard of it before. I wanted to find out what Mr. Moran meant by a Lugulin feast. Bless your little heart, the old man said to her. In the future, I shall have to be more careful about my illusions. You saved my wife's life, Jared Grissom said to Mr. Moran. I shall be eternally grateful to you. You would have saved her yourself, the old man said. You were close by. If you wish to give me the credit, though, just put it that I did my good deed for Christmas Day. What a story, huh? And it all happened right here in Livingston nearly 120 years ago. Again, that account was written by Livingston historian Freeman Harrison and published in the West Essex Tribune on December 24, 1970. Now, our local history room where we keep Print copies of all the West Essex Tribunes from the past 91 years or so is still closed to the public for the time being due to the pandemic. But if you ever want to dig into the archives yourself, you can do that 24 hours a day, starting at our website, livingstonlibrary.org. Near the top of our homepage where you see collections, just hover over that, click on the menu that pops up. Click on Resources A to Z, And on that page, scroll down the alphabetical list until you get to Local History Archive. Click on that, and then on that page, click on Tribune, near the top. That'll bring you to a digital archive of the West Essex Tribune issues going back to 1929. And now, speaking of great online resources, let's welcome back to the show, Jenea, who's going to tell us all about Canopy, the movie streaming service now available through the Livingston Library. Janea?
0: Hi, Joe. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me here again for this month's podcast. I hope everyone is well and being careful. Um, As Joe mentioned, my name is Jenea. I'm a library specialist, technology department here at the Livingston Public Library. I'm here to talk about Canopy, which is the latest offering at the library. Um, For those wondering, this canopy, spelled with a K, not a C, does not involve plantations of sought-after green leaves, but it is definitely another awesome source of relaxation and information brought to you by the Livingston Public Library. Canopy is a streaming service with thoughtful entertainment in mind. Um, Thoughtful Entertainment is actually their tagline, and here's why. Canopy aims to provide selections that are critically acclaimed, inspiring, and thought-provoking. This is explained in their website, and you can see it right away when you browse the collections. You can view movies, classic cinema, indie films, foreign films, documentaries, instruction videos, entertainment for kids, and the famous great courses. There are about 12 main genres to choose from, each on average with 10 sub-genres, all beautifully curated, each meant not only to entertain but also to enrich with interesting lists and wonderful subjects. So there is sure to be something for anyone who ventures in. Um, To access Canopy, visit our website at livingstonlibrary.org, and from there you can find Canopy in several places. Look in digital collections and the adult services, books, and more sections, and these links will bring you to Canopy's main page. If you look under resources A to Z and online learning sections, um, these Canopy links will bring you directly to the great courses. And the links in the children's department will bring you straight to Canopy Kids. Um, Canopy makes it easy though. Whichever link you choose to log in, you can access the whole collection by clicking on canopies logo and this will bring you to their main landing page Um, you can download the app or view from a browser and you have access 24 7 from your preferred devices so just sign up with your library card and then pair it with an email address plus password and you're all set each month you are allowed 10 play credits max to Spend on any movie within Canopy. Each play credit equates to one movie, viewable for 72 hours, or that's um, three days, for as many times as you'd like. Um, Your available remaining credits are displayed on the top right of the screen, and they get reset to the borrowing limits set for our library. And that would be 10 play credits on the first of each month. Um, Canopy Kids, on the other hand, does not require, does not require play credits. So you can enjoy as many of these as many times as you'd like with your young ones. And plus, there's more good news for our Livingston Library patrons who are interested in lifelong learning. Our library also opted to include access to the great courses via Canopy. Perfect for the curious and the inquisitive minds. Um, Livingston Library patrons are allowed one course per month that is on top of the template credits for movies and other video recordings. This one course a month privilege includes all episodes for the course, whether the series comes with one or a hundred episodes. Once a course has been selected, the Great Courses series will be available for viewing for a month and then after which you will only be allowed to view another course again when the course limits get refreshed at the start of each month. So it's one course a month. Um, Like the other offerings, there are so many captivating topics to choose from for the Great Courses. And that's most of my news for you all today. And it's perfect for the days when we stay in. So get ready to get cozy with Canopy. Thank you all.
2: Thank you, Jenea. I, for one, am very excited to have access to Canopy now. In fact, I've already compiled a long queue of films on Canopy that I can't wait to dive into. Starting with Penelope Spheris' The Decline of Western Civilization. It's a a four-and-a-half-hour trilogy of documentary films chronicling the punk rock and heavy metal scenes in Los Angeles throughout the 80s and 90s. Penelope Spheris is, of course, the director of Wayne's World, a film which has had a tremendous impact on my life, and yet until now, I haven't really had the chance to watch the decline of Western civilization films she made, which got her the job of directing Wayne's World in the first place. So as I said, I'm excited for that. As Janae also mentioned, Winter is a great time to stay indoors and get cozy with some very engaging stories. So on that note, some of the L-Town Radio crew are back to share what kind of stories they generally like to read during this cold, dark season, as well as what books they plan to read in the coming months. Let's start with Jessica.
4: Hello, L-Town Radio listeners. So, Winter Reads. Are there special books that I read in the winter that differ from the other seasons? In the summer, I usually read beachy novels, but I don't think it's because they match the season. Rather, I think it's because my favorite authors, like Eliane Hildebrand, Mary Alice Monroe, and Nancy Thayer, all write summertime novels that are published during these warmer months. But winter? I'm not sure. Lately, I've been having trouble really diving into what I've been reading. I mean, I've been reading but I haven't felt pulled into the storyline or immersed in the lives of the characters as frequently as I would like. So when I think about winter reads, I think about wanting to read books that I thoroughly enjoy. Books that match my mood and books that pull me right in. Some books I'm excited to read are Colleen Hoover's new novel, Heartbones, and Beth Haribson's The Cookbook Club. And of course, as we approach November and the beginning of December, I do enjoy reading a sweet holiday novel like those by Debbie McCumber. They're quick reads, great for the yearly reading challenge goals, and they also leave me feeling hopeful about the world.
2: All right. Thank you, Jessica. And up next, coming back, is Katie.
5: Hi, podcast listeners. This month, Joe asked us, are there any special books Old or new that you've been saving to read this winter? Or are there particular kinds of books you prefer reading in winter? And it's a really good question. And the answer is I have gotten in the habit of reading the Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child book series about Agent Pendergast every winter. I've been reading them for probably 15 years now. The 19th book just came out in February of last year. So I'm anticipating the 20th book to be a big deal and to come out probably around then, definitely in winter, fingers crossed at least. And it's hopefully going to be amazing. I'm really looking forward to it, but there's no release date, there's no title yet. So, I hope it's just something they're keeping in secrecy and not something that's not going to happen because I just have really great memories of most of the books coming out around November, then just always reading them curled up with some hot chocolate and a blanket and just being transported to the different worlds of Agent Pendergast and the different adventures and thrillers that follow him around. Um, if you want to check out the series, it's available on Overdrive, all 19 books. The first in the series is Relic, which I very highly recommend starting at the beginning. And I hope you enjoy it. I hope you check the book out.
2: Thank you, Katie. As for me, there's something about the winter that makes me want to read epic Russian novels from the 19th century. I suppose it has something to do with the fact that I associate that setting with winteriness, and also because all the time spent indoors is ideal for diving into thick, immersive books. One winter, I plowed through Tolstoy's Anna Karenina, which I didn't think I would enjoy, but in fact sucked me in very quickly and never let go of me, except maybe for those... Hundred pages or so in the middle that covered in painstaking detail 19th century Russian agriculture for some reason. My favorite Russian writer, though, is Fyodor Dostoevsky. And one winter about 12 or 13 years ago, I devoted to reading The Brothers Karamazov, which turned out to be one of the greatest novels I ever read, Russian or otherwise. So this winter, I'm thinking I might dig into a, a Russian author from that era that I'm not as familiar with, Gorky, or Chekhov, or Turgenev, maybe. Or perhaps I might go back to my beloved Dostoevsky and finally read his 700-plus page behemoth known as Demons, or The Possessed, depending on the translation. Well, that'll do it for our December episode. Thank you to Katie, Archina, Jessica, and Janea for your contributions this month. And, oh, wait a second, I almost forgot. I promised I'd tell you how you can be a part of the L-Town radio crew. Do you want to tell our listeners about a book you've recently enjoyed, a library program that you're excited about, a memorable experience you've had at the library, or just about anything library-related that you want to share with our community? If you're interested, email us at ref, that's R-E-F, at livingston.bccls.com. .org. Please be so kind as to tell us your name, your age, and a brief description of your submission. And of course, don't forget to attach your submission recorded as a WAVE MP3 or M4A audio file. Ideally, your submission should be about a minute long, though we'll be happy to consider submissions of up to three minutes in length. Please note we may not be able to respond to every submission we receive, but If we do choose to use your submission in one of our episodes, we will definitely be in touch with you before it is released. Submissions may also be edited for time and content if necessary, and we cannot consider submissions that involve self-promotion, solicitations, or other forms of advertisement. Okay, with that taken care of, now it's time to wrap up this episode of L-Town Radio. Thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. I hope you'll tune in again next month. As always, you can listen and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Don't forget, you can follow us all over the internet on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter, not to mention our daily blog, which is at blog.livingstonlibrary.org. Of course, we hope you'll come visit us in person since we are open. We do contactless pickup on Mondays and Thursdays when you can come and grab books that you've reserved with us online. Our browse and borrow days are Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. That's where you can come in to pick up your reserved books or just look around and see what's on the shelves. Our website, livingstonlibrary.org, has all our hours, social distancing policies, and other relevant information, including a link to our event calendar where you can check out and register for all our upcoming programs. Until next time, be safe, be kind, always be curious, and... Have yourself a very happy holiday season.